All right. Well, today we are joined by Corinne Kirkpatrick, BC Liberal candidate for West Vancouver Capilano. This is Corinne's first time running for public office, but it's not her first time in a leadership position. Corinne has held executive positions in a handful of organizations here in BC, including the Real Estate Foundation of British Columbia, UBC's Sauter School of Business, and the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Most recently, Corinne has served as the CEO of Family Services of Greater Vancouver. We're going to dive into that in a minute. An organization with 500 employees and 12 locations spread across Greater Vancouver. Today, we're excited to talk with Corinne about the election, which is her first gig at this. What she sees is her niche in the legislature and what she hopes to gain from this election. So thank you for being on the show today, Corinne. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks very much for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And I, I just want to correct one thing so Bridget oh. Anderson doesn't get mad at sure, me. Sure, yes. Is that I was on the board of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. I don't want anyone to think I was the head of... Oh, I apologize. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Although I'm sure you would be a great head. Okay. Um, so you were on the board of the Greater yeah. Vancouver Board of yeah. Trade. Okay, super. Now, Corinne, this is your first time into uh, politics and you've gone, jumped right into a, a heated snap election. Yes, um, what has it been like for you to go through this approach of uh, having to go out and, you know, I'm assuming you've done maybe some Zoom calls or door knocking or whatever you've been doing to sort of get your name out there. Yes. How has the experience been so far? I'm over Zoomed right now. <laughs> um, it's It's been challenging. Um, yeah. We have uh, Ralph Sultan, who has been a long-serving MLA in my riding. Yeah. Um, and so trying to get my name out now without the ability to have events and to, you know, uh, attend people's parties and do those kinds of things, it's making it difficult. We also have, um, uh, you know, a, a, a large portion of seniors uh, mm -hmm. in my riding they're not on those zoom calls uh, right. they don't we don't have access to come in and see them because of the pandemic so there's a lot of challenges the um, handwritten the write-in ballots have I'm concerned are a challenge for us because the mail-in ones the mail-in were... ballots because they've gone out without candidates names on them right they went out before candidates were listed <clears throat> on the elections BC site I know that there are people writing Ralph Sultan's name in, really? <laughs> in my writing oh dear. because they didn't know who I was and so if there was Can you a, make your middle name Ralph? I guess I I don't know. <laughs> that might be some change? arm wrestling there. But um, so, I mean, there's going to be some oh, wow. ballots. There's a whole number of, yeah. of issues. But getting out there and um, and actually campaigning and door knocking, getting into apartment buildings where you might have otherwise been able to yeah. you know, have little events. And um, it's made it really difficult. And, and having, you know, this very, very short period of time for a new candidate who doesn't have a machine in place in terms sure. of who is my campaign manager and who is helping with communications and who is putting the signs up. And so scrambling to to pull that together, it's it's been challenging. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. And I went into this all having just come off of a major shoulder surgery. So oh, I haven't been able to dear. use my really? right arm for the last oh, two no. months. So, and I thought, I'm going to have all this time to get physio. And so, yeah, that's just my own personal challenge. Oh, my it. goodness. But the timing was bad. Wow. I wouldn't have known. Well, good for you. Well, Jack, your campaign manager has mm -hmm. been excellent. And I appreciate him getting you in here. Um, let's jump to the kind of elephant in the room. You bet. I, um, yeah. So we were actually going to have both yourself and uh, Jane uh, Thornthwaite, Thornthwaite. Thornthwaite yeah. excuse me, um, on today's podcast. Uh, she wasn't able to make it. Uh, and I think largely due to what happened on Friday. So there was a video that we're going to uh, post here. There was a video that uh, a clip that was uh, mm -hmm. that you were on yep. with uh, Jane mm -hmm. and Andrew Wilkinson and a few other people from the BC Liberal Party, and there's some comments made about Bowen Ma. Mm -hmm. um, so 
uh, we'll let the viewers sort of hear or listen to this clip um, right now. Except for Bowen is, you know, very pretty lady, and uh, she knows that she's got it, and um, she knows how to get Ralph going. And my, this is my roast part for Ralph. Both Bo and Ma and Ralph were stuck on the couch together, very, very close together for almost the entire time. We, we were supposed to be networking and all this, but Bowen knows how to get you. But Kareen, can you maybe, I'll just leave that open. I'll open it up for you to, to comment because sure. obviously there's been a lot of drama around yeah, this. Yeah, there has been. This has been soul crushing for me. I bet. Um, I have worked, uh, and it's quite emotional to, for me too. I have worked, all of my jobs have been to help and support women, um, uh, to help deal with racism, discrimination. Um, it it is it was so fundamentally um I, I was i was actually as i am now almost tongue-tied i was so shocked by the comments that were being made that i did not react the way that i would like to have reacted mm -hmm. um there some people have said i was laughing and i can guarantee you i was not laughing um i was at first just trying to process what was being said um, and then I put my head down because I didn't really, I, I did not know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I put my head up and it looked like I might be laughing. It was a nervous reaction. Sure. I really was in a position where I would like to have thought if I was on the other side of that camera that I would have behaved differently. Um, and I've been beating myself up about it since uh, it happened. I should have stopped it. I should have called it out when it happened. I don't have a time machine. Uh, if, you know, if, if I did, uh, I, I would change it. I can't. It was a moment in time where I didn't say something that I should have said. Right. Um, the extenuating circumstances for me, and I don't certainly don't mean this to be an excuse, is that this is the first event I had ever done. I was nervous. I had been practicing my script all day. I didn't know the people on the call. Um, so just in terms of getting to kind of where I was, when this came out of left field at me is I probably wasn't as steady on my feet as I normally would be. And so I apologize to who, you know, to all of those people that were offended. Um, it, it was, just, it's just so not the person I am. And I'm so upset by it because I feel that it diminishes and takes away from all of the work that I've done in my career. Mm -hmm. um, the social media, which I knew I didn't want to look at when I, got into politics anyways, his cruel. Um, I'm called a bad mother, uh, which to me, I think it, that that's another issue about, do you, are, are they calling the men that were on that call bad fathers? Sure. Um, and was it my uh, obligation? And I do think I have a higher level of responsibility because I was the only woman on the call to have stepped up and, and said something. Mm -hmm. But it is, uh, I. I I wish I had done something different. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people I think who you look back and you go, gee, if it was me, I would have done, you know, this, this, and this. I would have thought that about myself. Sure. Too. I, I yeah. made a mistake in time and I wish I could change it. It was wrong. It was appalling. It was shocking. Um, and it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you've been able to express that, Corinne, because I think what's been unfair is the again this is also not an excuse for the comments that jane made because 
I listened to them too. And uh, I didn't, I found out firsthand. I didn't mm -hmm. find out from some second person. So I yep. saw it and I saw it raw. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the context. Yeah. The context was, it was a roast. Event. It was a roast for Ralph Sultan. And, and to be honest, this is the other piece that upsets me. He is such a gentleman. He's sure. such a wonderful person, a statesman. Yeah. And this is, has hurt him too. Yeah. And so, but it was in the context of being a roast, it was completely appropriate with, with you know, there's always some, you're playing around the edges a little bit, but right. with the people that roasted him prior to this, it was appropriate, it yeah. was funny, and and it was a nice event. Right, yeah. So I think it's good to, to make sure we clear the air on that so mm -hmm. that it's understood, because I think what's unfortunate, from my observation, yeah. and, and look, I had Bowen Ma come in here. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the recording with Bowen was like, it didn't record. Right. Uh, oh. so it's so <laughs> it's so so disappointing. But she's offered to come back in right. after the election's over. She's a great person. Yep. Um and I was really impressed. She's very well yep. spoken. Yeah. Um and as I've had other people like yourself come mm -hmm. in, I'm like, you know, what you see on Twitter yeah. and what you hear their their opponents st state about those people mm -hmm. and what you realize about them when you meet them in person. I can't say that there's been anybody from any of the political lines yeah. of all the guests I've had in from both NDP liberals and greens yeah that i could say they left and they said wow that's a real that person's a real jerk yeah and yeah. um and it's unfortunate corinne and i'm glad you've been able to speak about this because it's unfortunate that all the years of work you've done uh especially with the you know your your latest this this uh with your uh family services of greater vancouver that all gets kind of swept under the rug because you happen to be in this clip on this video and you're the only other woman in the room and mm -hmm. I just think it's unfortunate people don't take a minute to just reflect on the fact that you can't judge a person based on some small clip. And again, I'm not trying to to justify or defend Jane. I don't know Jane. Yep. But I think that if any mature adult were to look at this, go, you know, we've all made mistakes in mm -hmm. our lives. And I completely resonate with where you're coming yeah. from. Now, we are uh, we are only um, about a week away, we, mm -hmm. just a week and a half away yeah. from this election. We had the leaders debate last night. Um, this is your first go at uh, provincial, at any politics from yeah, what I understand. Yeah. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit, first of all, like what got you inspired to, mm -hmm. to do this and um, why are you running in the uh, riding of West Vancouver Cavallano? Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, so I've always been kind of on the peripheral of politics. I've been political. So I've been sure. involved. I, I watch everything. I read everything. I want to know what's happening. Um, I've been involved in helping other candidates in a variety of parties running uh, running campaigns before. And so I, I'm new to politics, but I'm not new to politics. I'm new to, as being a candidate. Yes. I've also run a Crown Corporation, and I do a lot of work in my previous role with working directly with the province. Uh, with working on contracts and negotiations with the province. So I've kind of seen seen it from the inside as well. Yeah. So the question, why do I want to do this? Yeah. Is um, I feel I've got this very unique kind of basket of skills and experiences. And I really believe that I can bring some fresh ideas and some progressive ideas and um, and and really contribute to those policy conversations and, and make some good change and support good change that's already happening. So I was a little bit angry. And I think that when you get angry, about something you get motivated to do something about it what were you angry about and so oh i'll tell you um <laughs> for the last three years uh running a social services organization i have seen the ndp government cut 
funding, so some really critical programs, including youth addiction programs. Um, underfunding, really important programs for uh, domestic violence uh, survivors and, and children who are involved in domestic violence. These are program cuts. You don't hear about them out in the community because it doesn't feel like that's an NDP thing to do, but we've struggled with it. Um, I would never have thought no. this type of, type of government, I mean, they, they, they take a position that they are the most progressive when yeah. it comes to these types of services. Yeah. So this is enlightening for me. Yeah, no, there's there there's some real issues with funding. And okay. and then the last thing is that really, not unlike the Community Benefits Agreement, um, the NDP government made a conscious decision uh, two and a half years ago to fund unionized social services organizations at a higher wage rate than non-unionized social services organizations. Really? delivering the exact same services, the people having the exact same qualifications. So that was the point where I just said, you know what, yeah. I really want to be in a place where I can have these conversations and draw these things to the attention of others and, and try and change some policy. So that wow. was a long answer to your No, question. that's a great, great one. And actually, <laughs> I didn't realize that last point of that the, the BC NDP are giving more funding to social service providers that have union mm -hmm. employees versus non-union. I've heard uh, Andrew Wilkinson and the BC Liberals sort of promote the fact that the John Horgan, they say John Horgan's only supporting his union friends. Mm -hmm. But this is actually a really tangible example of this. So so the I think you're referring to is what you experienced at Family Services of Greater Vancouver. Yes, yeah. Okay, so maybe to use that as an example, let's first of all, for the listeners to understand, what is Family Services of Greater Vancouver? I mentioned that there's 500 yeah. employees, 12 locations. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what it is. Okay. I just need to do one of those qualifiers that I'm not speaking on behalf of no, Family first not. Services. No, and you're not involved so with them anymore. This is in, yeah, I'm not there anymore. This, yeah. this is, but I'm still involved in the sector and yeah. this is, this was a We're talking about sector, your experience some, yeah, there. Yeah, some challenges. Yeah. So um, the kind of work that these organizations do is that hands-on, on the ground, working with street entrenched young people, working okay. with um, people suffering from mental health, uh, suicidal trauma. It's the kind of, uh, elder abuse. So it's the kind of work that is so fundamental to who we are as Canadians and who we are as a society. Yeah. Um, and so these are the kind of programs that I've just felt. And, and uh, you know, my experience really has been the last four years has been since the NDP came in. I was not there prior to that. But my understanding, even from people within the ministries, is that there's a very different way of funding and not funding programs now. Hmm. And so I also just want to clarify, I think unions are great and they do really, really good work and they have a very important part to play in the economy and um, they've done great things for all of us. The concern and challenge I have is a government policy meant to um, influence what's happening and, and unionization. So actually the government is doing something that is almost forcing an organization to unionize. So it really doesn't have to do with the mm -hmm. union itself. It's really the, the ideology that the government can do that. Sure. Is this, Corinne, is this an actual written policy or is it kind of like a um, just a known, it's kind of a unwritten. Rule. Oh, it's no, it's written. It's it uh, is. yeah, it, it's in the contracts and it's in. There was a negotiated amount of money a few years ago, sixty million dollars that was put aside yeah. that was supposed to help equalize um, social services employees to healthcare employees because there is a differential there that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So we all thought that we were going to benefit from that, and then it was at the last minute we were informed that it was only going to the unionized uh, employees. Well, we have decided we're going to cover a number of topics here, mm -hmm. so we we want to talk about 
what you can bring to the table from yeah. a leadership perspective. Because I don't think there's a lot of MLAs or people who vine to become an MLA who can say that they've worked or sorry, not worked, ran a company yeah. or an organization with 500 employees. That's very impressive. Um, and you've got some academic credentials as well. You, you mentioned to me just before we started filming that you've recently completed your law degree, which I think is impressive. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about land use and transportation mm -hmm. and renewable energy. And that what I find, I've, we've only just started going, getting going here, but I find fascinating is that you're not coming to the table with what would be a, a sort of stereotypical liberal, you know, conservative mm -hmm. sort of position. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've got some really progressive ideas. Um, you were assistant uh, dean at UBC's Sauter School of Business. Did I got that right? Yeah, you got that okay. right. Okay. Um, so this is a, you know, leadership in, in a, in a, in a non-profit sector. Mm -hmm. um, and I have some Sauter School of Business graduates on my team that work for me. I'd be surprised if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, they're, and they're great. They're great. Um, what do you think is the most important thing that uh, you would hope uh, these students got from their experience there of working at Sauter School of Business? And and why did you get involved with that? It was such a great opportunity to work with a whole bunch of smart people and to learn from people. Um, and it was also an opportunity for me to learn from young people and to kind of reconnect with people who are at different parts of their life. Yeah. So I think that, you know, being one of the top research universities in the world um, is pretty attractive for anyone to work there or to actually attend as a student. Uh, so I had the opportunity to learn so much about so many different things, even as a, as a staff member. Um, the knowledge there and the knowledge sharing was extraordinary. I was very fortunate. I was involved in the renaming of the school, got to work with the Sauter family and go through the branding. So it was actually the Faculty of Commerce and Business Administration, oh. which is a bit of a mouthful yeah. when I started. And so I was there for a very exciting time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was it's one of those accidental jobs. And I think a few of mine have been accidental jobs where I was in, uh, you know, I was at an event having a conversation with somebody and an opportunity was presented and had never anticipated that I would be there, but it was one of the best times of my life and I wow. learned so much there. Let's dive into some of these topics that seem to be important to you and probably important for the people of uh, West Vancouver, Capilano. Um, and just to be clear, so your, your riding, which is um, the former riding of Ralph Sultan, Sultan yeah. uh, who's, who's retiring, yes. um, has been a long-standing liberal riding. Yes. So I would think it would be safe to say that, well, it's not, nothing's guaranteed in life. There's a very good probability that you should win if you put your effort in on this one. So I would like to think that, you know, if we were to sit down in a couple months from now, I'd be calling you MLA of uh, West Vancouver Capilano. Now, one of the subjects you wanted to talk about was land use. Mm -hmm. Can you dive into what are your kind of thoughts on land use? And uh, I know there's been a lot of um, uh, controversy over some of the land use in West mm -hmm. Vancouver. You've got, you've also got two municipalities up there, mm -hmm. if I, right? Yeah, well, three, we got we, a city and two districts, yeah. Right, yeah. so it's probably a bit more complex mm -hmm. than some other municipalities. Yeah. So where, let's start off with that topic of land use and, and what, are you, what are your thoughts? Okay. When we talk about land use, it's really community planning. And okay. um, when I was the CEO of the BC Real Estate Foundation, uh, that was where I really had my eyes open about what, what good community planning can be and how can we be innovative about creating additional housing stock and affordable housing stock in mixed communities. And I know that all of the, the, the district and the city um, on the North Shore are very concerned about the ability for their young people to continue to stay there. 
businesses trying to attract employees who can't stay, you know, who can't live there, teachers who can't live there. And there, it's all connected because transportation is the other thing I'm interested yeah. in. But um, yeah, sure. so you've got to have people who are commuting, you know, from Coquitlam to the North Shore every day. Right. Is that we've got to do something about the way that we're building our communities there and we're integrating transportation and housing. Um, and we're doing it in a way where it is affordable to a number of people. And when we talk about affordable, af housing is on a continuum. Um, and their Board of Trade did a, a, a report a few years ago that was called The Missing Middle. Okay. And I do think that that's one of the challenges, as well as the affordability at the um, kind of entry level, uh, you know, true affordability issue, is that w how do you move people through that continuum of housing? And so there's not as a they lot, age, as they as they go age, from a single but as person. they go from a, a young person to, to a married and to children, family and yeah. to yeah. So I think there's a lot of focus on each end of that continuum, but right. not as much on how do we move people through and doing doing that through mixed communities. And okay. So I don't know if that's you know clear yeah, can, enough in terms of. Yeah. Yeah. of what it is and then the, the second part is uh on the north shore you were saying earlier you know do driving over there yeah um it doesn't make sense for us not to have a fixed link uh as part of the, the skytrain system yeah. it, it, it well let's let's dive into the transportation yeah. in a moment um it's interesting because in each of the interviews we've done through this election mm -hmm. series housing comes up every time absolutely Even, yeah. and and you know when i look at think about the interview i did with sam sullivan mm -hmm. and uh this is a big topic for his um his writing and the bc ndp yep. really tried to convince voters in the last election that the liberal party of british columbia um really did a terrible job of looking out for the average British Columbian mm -hmm. and and that you know affordable housing uh, housing got unaffordable for right. many people over the 16 years now what was interesting in last night's political debate mm -hmm. is uh, Andrew Wilkinson said to John Horgan look under your watch over the last three and a half years the average rent for uh, somebody in the lower mainland has gone up by an, over two thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. and John Horgan said no and then I later looked at uh, Justin McElroy, who's a really well-followed CBC yeah, reporter. Your fact checker. He's the fact checker. Yeah. Did you see it? And <laughs> I he, didn't. Know. Oh, he fact checked yeah. it, and it was good. You should. We'll put that up on mm -hmm. the, the tweet. The tweet that he put up, and he's like, "Well, actually, indeed, there is some kind of metric out there that's yeah. been, and it's not. It's not hearsay. It's like there's the data, yeah, yep. and it has gone up. So, um, in my observation, and I have 28 people between the ages of 25 to 40 that work for me, mm -hmm. so they're that middle gr yep. group that you're talking yep. about, Corinne, and and they haven't given me any indication that, you know, things are all of a sudden way more affordable in the last mm -hmm. three and a half years. Mm -hmm. We know that condo prices have gotten higher here yep. in Vancouver. Yep. Housing prices have gone mm -hmm. higher. Um, so what I haven't got yet from anybody is like a clear view of like what their solution would be. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like always the same kind of thing. We just yeah. need more affordable housing, but I, like, can you give us some exact ideas of like what are the some things if you become the mla for west vancouver capilano yeah what are the kind of things you're going to advocate for your constituents to get done like real tangible things that can get right. done with respect to affordability of housing and yes housing especially in that middle group that you're yeah. talking about yeah it's really important as the mla that you work really closely with the district and the city because housing is really that's part of their community planning and yeah. so working um closly uh to but to, but to be able to support them um with um programs and funding uh, from the province, transportation from the province, those kinds yeah. of things. 
What I see and what concerns me in terms of housing, it's the quality of housing stock that's come okay. online in the last few years. Um, it's housing stock that is not, um, uh, you know, the, some of the modular housing. Um, we're talking about tents as being an alternative now to housing. So trying to find housing that uh, can be family housing and community housing is important. When you start to put additional taxes and you start to put impediments uh, and demotivators for developers and even nonprofit organizations to come in and add to that housing stock, you're not helping the situation. So I know there's an affordability issue and you've got to look at how do we protect tenants um, with, you know, with rent. And, but when you put a hard cap on rent, you've got to then look at can we put a hard cap on our property taxes and our insurance taxes? Right. And can you have landlords who can fix the elevator and who can do? So, so there's, there's unintended consequences in some of these programs um, and policies that the NDP program or uh, a government has brought in. Sure. And those unintended consequences are that people have stopped building that rental housing yeah. because it doesn't make sense to them financially. Right. And, it, yeah. and it's got to. So it sounds to me like you're an advocate for uh, a market-based solution, that there's not enough supply. If there were more supply, then it would drop the cost of housing. Yeah, that's a pretty black and white kind of easy way to approach it. And, and you know, and you can hear me say, I say to my friends, and if there was just more, it, it's basic economics. Yeah. Provide more supply, your price is going to go down. Yeah. Um, it's not that simple with housing um, because when we're talking about housing, there's so many different components and so many different people. And um, so it's part of it is I think it's not government's responsibility to actually to a degree to be the builders of that of that housing it is or it is not it is is not it is not it, they, yeah. they're not developers but they they have an obligation to bring policies in place or put policies in place that can encourage in a responsible way other um, organizations be them nonprofits or social developers or whoever it is mm -hmm. to actually encourage them and incentivize them sure to make it make sense for them to add that housing stock couldn't you, Corinne, can you take that argument one step further and say there's even a, a, a it makes sense to even motivate for-profit builders Yeah. to say absolutely. like if you, if there's not enough uh, two and three bedroom family, you know, um, attached yep. condos mm -hmm. to say, look, if you want to build a property, you want to build to get approval to build a five-story building. Yep. And we know, we know, you know, yep. you're going to make more money if yep. you make them all one bedrooms, yep. Yep. but we need to have families that can live here. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. If you build X number of rooms, yep. you get to the front of the line mm -hmm. as far as approvals yep. are concerned, or you get some kind of tax rebate. Yeah, yeah. No, I think those are really important things to look at. Now, those kinds of th those kinds of decisions are generally made at the municipal level, but okay. some municipalities are doing really creative things and you know waiving the CAC requirements so it makes economic sense for a developer to come in and build rental. Right. So, so is this issue of affordable housing even a provincial issue it's everybody's issue okay. because it relates to mental health it relates to addiction it relates right. to so it, it's everybody's but it depends which economic levers or which policies uh you can move um and it has to be the province working really really closely with the municipalities on supporting each other and making sure it, it's rational and makes sense yeah now i've heard selena robinson who's been the housing minister up until this election uh on various 
podcasts uh, mm-hmm. like Mo Amir's and um, she's a very well-spoken woman. Yeah. Um, she takes a lot of pride in what she sees as being a lot of success they've had. Mm-hmm. What are your views on how the NDP's track record's been in the last three and a half years as far as what, like in your backyard of West mm-hmm. Vancouver Capilano, have you seen a big change in the affordable housing stock or availability of housing for either that middle group or the people that at the bottom end of the spectrum? There's certainly some projects online right now, which are really creative programs. Uh-huh. They're municipal programs. Those are cities that and the districts who have been working with different groups to, to mm-hmm. come up with some solutions to this. From a, a provincial perspective, I haven't seen a lot of innovation in what we were talking about is really motivating and, and being creative around uh, providing that housing and a real focus on the entry level or transition level piece of housing, which which is really important, but it doesn't help open up that stock for other people by, right. by allowing you to move through that continuum. Right. Are there any, uh, to finish off on this topic, are there any um, creative ideas that you would like to bring to the Legislative Assembly? Maybe give an example, like, for example, Whistler has this mm-hmm. uh, separate s- stock of real estate yeah. for local residents. Yeah. It has a different pricing mechanism. Yes, yeah. I don't know what you call that. Yeah, but. yeah. So do you have any ideas that you'd like to bring to the table that yeah. you could speak of right now? Absolutely. I, there's so much opportunity for innovation. And when I was at the BC Real Estate Foundation, excuse me if I may have some of these details a little yeah. bit wrong, but there was a project um, that we were involved in that Van City Community Foundation did some funding on. A couple other groups got together. It was out in Abbotsford. Okay. And it was entry-level ownership. Um, they were townhomes, but they also had rental suites as the lower suite. And so there was a covenant, a restriction on the title is that 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 suite had to remain as a rental suite for a period of time. And it was oh. like 20 years or something. And then the mortgages were underwritten or there was some granting available for people to move into ownership. And then they were allowed to you. Well, obviously, that rent would be paid to them to help subsidize their ownership. Oh, interesting. So doing something like that, um, building um, uh, condos that have lock-off suites on them. And you've seen this out by UBC, not UBC, but SFU, where you've got a two-bedroom condo or one-bedroom condo, and you've got a lock-off suite, which might be a studio or a one-bedroom, that you can either choose to have as part of the larger suite if your family's growing, if you need that space, or you use that as revenue, income generating, to help you pay your mortgage. And again, you're creating additional housing stock for students. at at SFU. So there's all kinds of things. I mean, these are just examples and I'm I'm not inventing this. I mean, there's there's a lot of examples of things that we can do out in the community. And I don't think we're quite as um, creative as we can be. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's interesting on your last example there, Corinne, about the lock-off suite Mm -hmm. that I've never heard of before. Technically under the, and I know this legislation exceptionally well, (laughs) under the BC speculation tax legislation, if you didn't rent that out, for at least, uh, I think it's like six months in the year, but I, mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. know quite well, but um, you would actually be deemed as having an empty property and you would get taxed on that. 
Not in that situation. No? Yeah, uh, not in that situation okay. because uh, somebody would be in the suite. So you've either, yeah. you've got it locked off where you're sharing it or, but there can be that actually, it's a, it's a great example of how you have to have rational policy making that will actually allow for creativity. Right. And I think sometimes in municipalities and you, you don't have the ability to be able to look at a scenario on, on the basis of that scenario and apply a policy differently. Right. But in that situation, uh, although it's a great example of where that yeah. might be a challenge, I don't think that would be an You don't issue. think it would? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's, let's jump to the topic of transportation. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you mentioned this already, that you'd love to see a fixed link to the North Shore. Yeah, yeah. So what does that look like? And I mean, I, I, I love the idea mm -hmm. conceptually. I don't live on the North Shore. I've got some good friends over there. Um, but man, that must be a very expensive project to undertake. What are you thinking about? Um, well, I mean, all rapid transit, SkyTrain, light rail, it's, it's all an expensive project yeah. to undertake. But if you look at the cost benefit of that in terms of getting cars off the road and yeah, creating sure. better communities, it makes sense. And you can also, there, there's five different options right now that um, TransLink in the province are looking at in terms of how do we get to the North Shore. Right. Um, but there's a number of other things they're looking at, and obviously the UBC line. And But the, the cost of, of the UBC line versus the cost of doing light rail to the North Shore, now I'm not an expert at this, yeah, but I've sure. been reading a lot about it, is that it's less expensive because to do light rail to the North Shore because we can use existing infrastructure. We can, it would be, and it would be, it makes more sense mm. uh, because of the flow of employment and people just even accessing the North Shore to to open that transportation corridor up the sea to sky, right? Um, to help the businesses, to help affordability. So it makes sense. Um, so I, what do you envision? Like, is this uh, is is this like a like a transportation, like a like a, tr a train line that attaches to the Lionsgate Bridge on the side of it and scoots across, or is this a tunnel? What <laughs> well, are we I'm not an about? engineer, but yeah. that doesn't sound like it would work. <laughs> no, I there there's options, and you've got there's transportation specialists all over the yeah. world, and we've got great ones here at UBC and SFU who can yeah. take a look at these things and say what makes the most sense. So I can't tell you what that looks like. Yeah. I can tell you it sounds like from uh you know even if there's a recent op-ed in the North Shore News talking about the okay. ability to bring light rail transit over on the existing train line. Um, that comes across by the Second Narrows Bridge. Okay. So th they all have to be looked at. But uh, so I want something, though. There has to be something right. um, for so many reasons. There has to be something. We're disconnected to the rest of the Lower Mainland. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. So um, when it comes to to this fixed link, do you, do you think the possibility of having a, a tunnel is in the mix at all? Or are we... I, well, I think light rail would be the I, to go probably. Boy, I think tunneling would be really expensive, and I yeah. don't know that you've got the soil stability on the bottom to yeah. be able to to sustain that and make that make sense. Yeah. So maybe I mean people like tunnels because you don't see them. Yeah. Um, but it's got to make economic sense, and I actually think there's something that really beautiful about transit yeah. <laughs> and being able to see it and being above ground. So yeah. I don't know. Well, the NDP and the Liberal Party have been going back and forth mm -hmm. in the Massey Tunnel for a yeah. long time, and I yeah. know that the uh, Liberals are, you know, set their heels in on a on a bridge. Yeah. Whereas the NDP stated that they are keen on just, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, retrofitting or right, expanding right. the tunnel. But it seems like nothing's being done for those folks down there. Um, the transportation issue is a big, big ticket item. Yeah, it right? is. Like it's, uh, yeah. Do you, are you a big fan of 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 um, uh, 
uh, what do they call the tariffs when you go over a bridge? The uh, oh, okay, yeah, tolls. Tolls. The tolls. <laughs> I okay, I well, that's a sticky subject yeah. to talk about. But um, uh, you know, other cities do it, and it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I also know that it there's a uh, it, it's a disproportionate burden on people who are coming uh, who are traveling further every day. Yeah. Um, it also costs them more to you know maintain their vehicle and to have. So I, I don't like the idea of tolls um, that have that impact on, on people. Sure. But I do think it's worth looking at congestion taxes and various things for those people who are coming into the city. Now, this is not, this, this is me <laughs> talking about this. I, do, I think there are opportunities to look at, again, behavioral modification. What can we do that will get people out of their cars and will get sure. them on transit? Yeah. So it's got to be a, you've got to have transit to get yeah. them into, and then B, you can use some of these um, encouragements uh, to make it make sense for people to, to get into to transit. Right. But I, I do think that that burden has got to be shared equally. Yeah. Is the, in the, on the North Shore where you live, Karine, mm -hmm. um, is your bus system uh, TransLink or is it, because isn't there like We've a- we got the blue bus system in West Vancouver and yes. then we're- the and who runs that? Is, is that it's the it's the no, it's the District of West Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Is that problematic at all for the um, that run separately? To from be Vancouver? honestly, I don't know. I I haven't as a as a transit user, I haven't found that it is. But yeah. I'm sure that there's some economies of scale that are lacking, as as yeah. in many things. But yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump to the next topic, which is renewable energy, because mm -hmm. it sounds like this is something you're also passionate yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, I'll start by stating that the it's been when I had Sonia first to know mm -hmm. on. I said, Son, you know, it's interesting with the Liberal Party of BC, you know what you get. They're pro pipelines. They want us. They want to expand TMX. They're they're pro LNG Canada. With the Green Party, you know what you get. Mm -hmm. You're not pro on any of this stuff. Yeah. But the NDP, man, they, they seem to change that story constantly going back and forth. They're really like, you know, before they came into power, they were against LNG Canada. Yep. Now they're in favor of it. Yep. And then you come to sit down with me and you're part of a party that's pro pipelines, but it sounds like you're really big on renewable energy. So how do you fit all that in? Well, if you talk about what, if you look at what today's BC Liberals are talking about, it is yeah. that transition economy. Okay. Is we've got to be able to support the people that are in the oil and gas sector and LNG. But the only way you're actually going to make change is to be able to invest heavily in renewables heavily in the clean tech sector and that's yeah. what we're talking about doing okay um and those are those are also you know we i, I go back to how do we get people out of cars and uh we, we need to make that investment in clean tech and the bc liberals understand that um and have committed to that being a part of their energy platform and their environmental platform so what kind of um re renewable energy projects would you be, be, be a big fan of which were the kind of things you would want to uh, promote if right. you're an MLA in Victoria. Yeah. Well, again, I always have to defer to the specialist to tell me what makes the most sense. But again, we, we just have these amazing resources. Uh, we can do tidal uh, power because we have this astounding coastline. Right. Um, wind power, geothermal power. I know that there's coming back to housing too and being innovative in housing. Uh, geothermal heating for apartment buildings for tall high rises. Right. We're yeah. seeing it happen and it makes great sense. So yeah. there's an a number of things that we can do here to access power. But then the other thing we need to look at is how do we supply and provide power to other parts of the world? Um, and, and I think that we can provide, we can be leaders in the technology around clean tech. 
Yeah. And investing in that and supporting that sector, I think, is really important. Yeah. But but you don't turn off the tap on one sector one day. You've got to. And if sure. if a party comes in and says, that's it, we're closing everything down. There's no LNG. There's no it, nothing will ever happen. You've got to be willing to have that transition and and make that a long term plan. Yeah. Well, Andrew Wilkinson did say on the um, leaders debate last night, he he said, you know, B.C. has the opportunity to be a you know, an energy powerhouse mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not just through fossil fuels, no. but through a variety of ways in yep. which to generate, uh, generate energy. Um, Site C Dam, are you a big fan of that one? Do you like Site C Dam? I like the idea of hydro. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap this up, I'd like to ask you the question of, you know, what, what, what does winning in this election mean for you and for the party? There's a very high probability. I mean, this is why John Horgan has called and he's mm -hmm. saying that He's called this election because there's never a bad time to ask people right. when to elect their representatives. Right. He's saying that there's not a stable government. Sonia spoke about that. Yeah. Um, and and so he's done this because the they the NDP are looking good in the polls, mm -hmm. and I think they're almost even looking better right now. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the the Liberal Party, my observation, hasn't really delivered to the point they should. Now the jury's still out. There's an election here, and there's lots to go. But let's assume that we have a minority government in, uh, uh, sorry, a majority government by mm -hmm. the NDP. Right. And and the group of how many MLAs left in right. the Liberal right. Party. Um, what does winning look like for you? Um, I think being at the table, because my daughter always sings that Hamilton song, you yeah. gotta be in the room where it happens. I think being at the table and being in the room where it happens, regardless of who the governing party is, is really important. I think there's huge value there. Being a critic is is hugely valuable. Sure. So there there are opportunities to contribute in different ways. Yeah. Um, I, I, if you I, could be a critic, who, which, uh, which, which portfolio would you wanna, what would you love to pick up? Oh, I want to be a critic for everything. <laughs> I don't know. It's it. it I, I work at the at what's going to benefit the party and where they think. I've got yeah. diverse experience in different areas, MCFD, uh, you know, environment, housing. Yeah. So um, but I would be very concerned about a majority government with the NDP. I'm very concerned about trying to build our economy back up through taxation. Um, I don't think there's a, you know, it's business support or social services and mental health supports, those things work really, really closely together. You don't have to take away from one to, to give it to the other. Right. And the burdens that they have added to the average taxpayer and small businesses over the last three years, if they continue doing that, we're going to stall the economy and we're not going to be able to have that growth that we need to be able to recover from this pandemic. Right. And the government was functioning fine. There was, it's probably the most collaborative it's ever been. And the NDP or the Liberals and the Green Party weren't up in arms, weren't out in the media, weren't being critical because yeah. they were doing what they should have been doing, which is supporting and working collaboratively in the best interest of British Columbians. And John Horgan took advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that last comment I completely endorse because as a outsider who is pretty neutral on this, I mean, I just thought to myself, like, you've got two parties who've really put partisanship mm -hmm. aside to focus on COVID. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we get told out of the blue that no, no, we need an election right now. When there's an election coming next year. Yeah. When I had Sam in here and he was Sam, Sam Sullivan was yeah. referencing the fact that he feels like there's the one of the things that the NDP lacks is mm -hmm. a, just a pure curiosity in economics and, and the way business works. And you know, my comment to him was, 
and I think this is a factor in deciding when to, mm -hmm. to have this election now, Yeah, is that um, public publicly funded or like uh, public institutions like the government right. of or the government of British Columbia yeah. only publish their financial statements once a year. Yeah. And those financials for BC, the, uh, the, the fiscal year end is March 31st. Yeah. So we as British Columbians don't actually get to see what the government has spent their money on mm -hmm. until candidly around June right. of the fall of, of whatever year mm -hmm, that is. Mm -hmm. So we know what this government has spent up to March 31st of 2020 mm -hmm. when COVID had just started hitting right. North, North yes. America. Yeah. So I do feel like one of the things I do question is, was this election called? Because if we were having this election this time next year, there'd been six months for the public and opposition parties to digest what this government's spending their money on. And that's one of the fears I have. My expectation was that this election would be called prior to the budget in February, um, because I think that that's exactly what what you're saying is that um, the further we go into this, the more those cracks are going to start to show. Right. Um, there. I mean, there. There's this halo around Bonnie Henry in terms of how this government has has managed this pandemic. You know, those that halo will remain around her. <laughs> But in terms of the NDP's participation in that and what they've done and what they've contributed, it, it will get, it, you know, we'll, we'll start to really see those cracks as we move towards when they bring the budget out and what are they committing to and yeah. what have they been spending? Yeah. Right. So if people want to get involved, mm -hmm. if they want to help you out, um, how do they get involved? Uh, they can find me online, Google me. Well, don't Google me right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, go to our campaign page. And, you got a Facebook uh, page? Yeah, we got a Facebook page. page. Yeah. Uh, go there, um, at Corinne Kirkpatrick uh, Liberals, and uh, uh, just message us, and we'd love to have more people participating and yeah. being involved. And uh, But it's you, you only have a week and a half left, so yes. but we can still use that help and support. Uh, sign up, become a BC Liberal Party member. Um, feel free to donate to us and yeah. and if there's questions for me um just you know in in terms of those things that i stand for uh email and um we're doing our best to have me answer everybody but there's been a lot of emails in the last couple of yeah. days <laughs> if people are filling out their uh, mail-in ballots mm -hmm. um how do they fill it out they can either write liberal they can write the party name yep so they can write liberal or they can write the candidate name and but your name I, just so for listeners know it's spelled K A R I N, I -N. not Karen, uh, not, not Karen, not Karen. Uh, like, like, so yeah. it's Kirkpatrick. Yeah. There's a lot of I's and a lot of K's yeah. in there. It's yeah, hard yeah. to to get through it all. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I'm really excited for you, Thank and you. I really I'm appreciate excited. you coming down, especially considering all the uh, drama that you probably had to deal with since since uh, last Friday. I'm really impressed that you I'd rather down. face it and uh, yeah. and talk about it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you you faced it and spoke about it quite well. Um, so, Corinne, I really appreciate being on the show. Uh, you're the representative for the BC Liberal Party for Van West Vancouver Capilano. Best of luck on this election. Thank you for being on. Thanks so much, Andrew.